This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. You've heard of Facebook, right? Huge site, over 2 billion people visiting it every day. But what's it like actually working there? I talked with Design Program Manager Sylvie Singh to find out. Um, I think the most interesting thing about working at Facebook would be probably the encouragement to kind of create and recreate and fail and succeed. I've never had so much autonomy in my past roles and your impact is kind of really based on what effort and what input you put through. So that's definitely the most interesting and most rewarding thing about working at Facebook. Learn more at facebook.com forward slash design. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, I just want to remind you again that we're sponsoring the 2017 Black in Design Conference. This is going to be held October 6th through the 8th at the Harvard University Graduate School of Design. Tickets are still on sale for general admission, so I'll put a link in the show notes so you can get yours today. Also, don't forget that we are donating 100% of store sales this month to go towards Hurricane Harvey relief efforts. The proceeds are going to the Hurricane Harvey Relief Fund that's put on at the Greater Houston Community Foundation. And Threadless is also chipping in and offering free shipping for the month for any orders over $45. Now, this is the last week of September, so please go ahead, get your shop on, help out a great cause so we can get the people that have been affected by this back on their feet. Shop today at revisionpath.com forward slash store. The presenting sponsor for this week's episode is Videoblocks. You know, video blocks is great when you need clips or B-roll, but it's also good if you do motion graphics as well. They've got tons of After Effects templates and motion backgrounds in their library, and all of the content is royalty free, so you can use it for commercial projects, personal projects, whatever. Go to videoblocks.com forward slash revision path and get all the clips you can imagine for just $149 a year. Video blocks. V-I-D-E-O-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com forward slash revision path. Now let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. You know, I think anyone who has a small business knows that sometimes advertising can feel like you're throwing your money into a black hole. MailChimp gives you the power to see exactly what's working, and they give you the confidence to grow your own business in your own way. Sign up for a free account today at MailChimp.com. MailChimp. Send better email. Your online identity really begins with your domain name. You know, no matter what kind of an artist or designer or developer you might be, showcasing your passion online is super important. Hover makes the process of finding a domain super simple with hundreds of domain extensions, personalized email, and award-winning customer service. Go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. SiteGround's hosting services are crafted for professional, business, or enterprise projects. They let you build better, faster, safer websites more easily, and they offer multiple options that your websites can grow into. And all plans have managed WordPress hosting. They include staging and Git integration. Get started today by visiting siteground.com forward slash revision paths. You can get 60% off on all your hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. 
Now for this week's interview. We're talking to veteran creative director Derek Rivers. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. Yeah, my name is Derek Rivers. I am a creative director. I recently just left Littman Hearn out of Chicago to come on home, come on home back to Atlanta. Uh, so now I am a, a creative director slash art director that is currently freelancing and under the name of Black Sheep Studios. Nice. Well, congratulations to you. Is this your first time kind of stepping out like this? I've done this once before, only out of necessity. But, you know, just after having a, a great conversation with my wife and, and talking this over, it's just, she's always pushed me and, and said, you should go ahead and do your own thing. You know, it's just, it just seems to be the, the direction that, that you should go. And we talked about it and talked about it and thought, yeah, she's right. That satisfaction of being an entrepreneur, something that I've always wanted to do. I think now's the time to do it. I know now it's time to do it. Well, previously you said it was sort of out of necessity. So it sounds like this time it was a, a deliberate decision. Yeah. Out of necessity was when, unfortunately, when we had a series of layoffs at Burrell a couple of years back, well, about five years back. And um, of course, I had to go back out there and freelance. And I did that for about a year. You know, it was hot and cold. But that was at a different time. I recently went back to Chicago and took a full-time job at Littman Hearn. And, uh, you know, I signed a one-year contract. It was great. And just decided this time I'm ready. I'm more than ready. I think freelancing previously gave me an idea of what's out there. But now I'm more, better prepared and kind of know the, uh, the Atlanta creative industry is a lot different than the Chicago industry. So just getting back out there and kind of navigating back in Atlanta, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. So, How is the Atlanta creative industry different than Chicago? I think with Chicago, the industry is very tight. It's interesting because there's more people there, clearly. But I think networking is a little bit easier in Chicago. Now, again, I'm biased because I've been there since 2010. But I think the downfall with that is you are what you are. You know, in Chicago, if you're known for this, and that's pretty much it. <laughs> and so mm -hmm. I think Atlanta offers a little more flexibility, even though there aren't many of us creatives. Uh, of course, Chicago is just, uh, just a bigger town. It's an advertising town. Atlanta is a little bit, a little bit tougher because you kind of have to navigate and work a little bit harder to get in. But once you're in, I feel like uh, you'll be embraced. So that's something that I need to work on. But finding the work is a little bit tougher in Atlanta, in my experience. But uh, I'm open for the challenge. You know, that's interesting because I know that Atlanta, you know, creatively, when you think about it, has changed a lot in the past seven years. I mean, now the the big focus is on television and film. Mm -hmm. And I know before I feel like it was more, I don't want to say more startup-y, but it kind of felt like it was more startup, somewhat more corporate. So mm -hmm. maybe maybe that'll play in your favor. I don't know. I hope so. I think with my you know television background and that sort of thing, it'll definitely give me some leverage. Uh, I have a lot of video and um, photography background that, that, will, that will play nicely. That was one of the reasons why uh, Lippman Hearn liked me so much was video background and broadcast. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. A lot of times, in my experience, when I lived here before, when I was working here full-time, was a lot of the broadcasts, a lot of the TV spots were produced out of, out of New York. And Atlanta was served as more of a satellite office for a lot of agencies. 
but hopefully that's changed. Hopefully that has changed. You might know more than I know. Well, now that you're getting back out there, I know you said that you feel like you're more prepared. So I can only see that as being a good thing. Most folks, when they do entrepreneurship, I feel like it's a it's a leap. It's a jump off in terms of not really knowing what the market's going to be like. Mm-hmm. But it seems like you've got a better grasp on it now that you've had some time, I guess, some time away coming back into yeah. it. I feel like as a deliberate decision, you, you've got a game plan in mind. Yeah. The funny thing is, is that just in my initial discussions with people and that sort of thing, that Atlanta creatives tend to embrace people from out of town. You have a New York industry background or ABC background. Oh, wow. You know, you're, this is great. Or you're a Chicago guy and you're coming back down here or coming back to Atlanta. I think people will, they tend to embrace that because they're like, oh, you have, you worked in a larger town in a larger, I guess, market, if you will. And the tendency is to think that the creatives could be what somewhat better because they have that experience, which is not true. I think it's just, that's just where you, where you work, but I'll take it. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what kind of services will you be doing? So I've, I've been talking with a partner of mine. Her name is uh, Leslie Andrews. She's a photographer. We're dabbling in this area that I guess we have about maybe six categories that we're thinking about. And one of them is, is, you know, photography and videography, offering those services. And this is all project by project. So again, when we open our doors, it would be more, we'll take what we can get initially, but we really Mm -hmm. want to focus on branded content, photography and videography, and social, and of course, branding. So that's everything that from logo development and design, branding, writing marketing plans and brand platforms and positioning statements, all the way down to executional things such as photography, videography, branded content, and social media. So just really a design shop on steroids, if you will. Yeah, I was going to say, that's a lot to focus on. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have like a specific client base in mind? Uh, or Really mainly consumer clients, I think. We were throwing that up. I think where we play nicely is our backgrounds are both in the beauty industry. Okay. Super packaged goods is a great place to start because that's where our experiences kind of overlap. So, for instance, if there was, you know, a perfect client would be Pantene. Hey, we okay. create a, a new look and feel. We, we're doing packaging for our new bottles. We need photography to go along with it. We're going to need a number of other things as well. But this is, this is where we want to start. That would be a perfect project for us. And that's just an example. I've heard through the rumblings in the past week that Diet Coke is struggling. And they need a new uh, campaign for Diet Coke. And specifically, not just for general market, but also multicultural. be a great place for us to play. Maybe they might need some new photography, some new branding, that sort of thing. So, and I know in the, in the perfect world, Coke probably has a number of agencies that they work with. But why not consider some, a multicultural shop a small shop, boutique shop in Atlanta. So that's just the idea of a, or an example of a perfect client. Okay. I'd love to jump on that. So let's kind of go back here a little bit. I'm really interested to kind of hear how you first got your start in design. Can you talk to me about that? Yeah. So I'm aging myself here, but you know, I went to Virginia State back in the, in the early 90s. And of course, this was right on the cusp of where everything was turning into computer graphics, right? Visual, they, they, they changed the major to 
visual communications, which I think was wonderful because at the time it was art. The game was changing. And so there were two tracks. There was a studio art track and there was a, a, a commercial art track. And the commercial art track is, is what I decided to do. And then the major change to visual communications. And I started along with the, my dean said, we need a computer lab. And so I said, okay, great. So I helped develop that computer lab and we were going to buy these PCs, right? Mm-hmm. With that were equipped with PageMaker and Corel Draw. <laughs> and I said, no, we don't. We, we need Macs. We need Mac. That's the kind of computers we need to have in this computer lab, or nobody's going to come in here. No, Grant. Now you got to remember, this is back in 1993 or 94. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I helped develop and open the computer lab at Virginia State, and I fell in love with design. I, I installed all the Adobe software at the time, which was the big three, you know, Illustrator, Photoshop, and at the time, PageMaker, PageMaker, and Quark. Remember Quark? I remember Quark. Dating myself here. So, <laughs> so we installed those programs and nobody knew how to use them. So naturally, I hung around and taught the younger students how to use these programs, which, again, I was learning them as well. I'm self-taught. And then I went and did a, an internship in Richmond, Virginia where I studied one of our older students there that graduated from Virginia State. And I learned really how to process film, paper, everything that was like just getting my production chops ready. And it was interesting. It it was boring at first, but I knew the technical side of how things work and how to take a, prepare a file ready for print. You know, again, this is 1994 at the time. So it was a great experience. I fell in love with it. And then one of the ladies that worked there said, you know, you're really talented. But what I've noticed about you is that you're really a good designer. And I was like, oh, thank you. I, I didn't know. <laughs> and, and, of course, this is at the time where I was reading the communication art magazines. I was reading How Magazine. I was just fascinated with branding and logo development and packaging and that sort of thing. I fell in love with it, brochure design. And she just said, this is what you need to do. And she helped me. And she helped me create my first portfolio. And next thing I knew, I graduated and I went, my first job out of college was, believe it or not, I'm from the DC area, was at Department of Defense, (laughs) where they asked me to do PowerPoint slides. And I was just literally bored out of my mind. And I did that for about Six months. And then I, I applied for a job via the newspaper, Maurice. <laughs> you know, you, you write the letter and you send your cover letter and it, it, you mail it off. You know, this is a long time ago. And Nations Bank, which is now Bank of America, called me in and said, hey, we have a designer position open. Come on in. We saw we got your resume. I was like, oh, they responded. Great. And I took a pay cut to take that job. I took a $3,000 pay cut, I think it was, and probably the best thing I ever did in my life. Mm-hmm. And the hiring manager, we didn't know this until after she hired me. She also goes to my church and she knew my parents. So this is like a perfect storm. Like, wow, you know, I didn't even know that was your mom and dad. Well, I wasn't going to church, but my parents did. But um, she hired me. She gave my first real job out of college was working under her, and I was the only designer in the Mid-Atlantic region for Nations Bank. And so 
that was exciting. I would have to travel to Charlotte to, for training and that sort of thing. Keep on top of the brand. I worked with printers and I worked with you know, the local printers around you know the D.C. area. And that was awesome. And then I, a year later, I said, you know, I want to get into advertising. So what do I do? And that's when I got a brochure from the Portfolio Center uh, here in Atlanta. And I fell in love. And the brochure was just beautiful. And I was sold immediately. Like, okay, I'm going to go to Atlanta. I'm going to move down to Atlanta. Well, how, how am I going to do that? I just can't pack up and quit my job and go to Atlanta. <laughs> well, I talked to my boss. And she said, you should check on this portal. It was at the time... And on, like, I think it was DOS. It was so bad. It was this portal that had jobs for the bank. Mm-hmm. And there was a multimedia designer job open in Atlanta. I said, this is the one. So I applied for the job. The hiring manager called me. It was a natural fit. And she said, we'll give you some money. We'll move you on down through the, we'll pay for your move and come on to Atlanta. And so, hey, that was perfect. And then I started school at the Portfolio Center about six months later. Mm-hmm. And that was my goal was to get an advertising portfolio because a, a graphic design portfolio is so different than, than an ad, obviously, than an art director portfolio. So I did the program. I finished at Portfolio Center two years later. And here I am. And I got into advertising. And I love it. And I have been doing that ever since. So I think it's always good. Uh, you know, and of course, again, I'm dating myself, but I think an art director that has a design background is very, very helpful. And now an art director that's also conceptual with that design background is pretty powerful. So left Portfolio Center. I think the first job I had out of Portfolio Center was at, at West Wayne, which is now 22 Squared. Again, you don't come out getting the job as an art director. Back then, you get a job as a studio designer. <laughs> so I, mm-hmm. I had done this program to be in the advertising and my first job as a studio designer I was so upset but I had to take it and, and then eventually I worked, up, I worked my way into being an art director and learned from a lot of professionals a lot of the, of the senior creative teams there at West Wayne and then took another job after that at a marketing firm as an associate creative director senior art director associate creative director and then my big opportunity was at AT AT&T. It was singular at the time. And they hired me as a, really I was a designer, but your job title was senior marketing manager and, Mm -hmm. or creative marketing manager, something like that. And that was big to me because not only, it it was one of those things that gave me the experience of managing agencies, but also doing the work. So 50% 50% of my job was rolling my sleeves up and doing design work for the agency. Sorry about that. And the other half was managing advertising agencies and design shops, and retail agencies, smaller shops across the country. And that's really good experience because you're not just doing the work, but you're also managing it. And so I think that's where my career started to change because here's a creative guy that has a corporate background as well as a agency background. So with all of this kind of work that you've done, how is it different working, I guess, in agencies and kind of having this, this other private sector experience that you mentioned? Really, it's just the process. 
more gaming. You know, every agency and client side are so different. It's funny because you do more work when you're on the client side. I didn't think that. I thought it was different. But the late nights, the long hours were coming from the client side. It's really just a process. I think what helped out was able to understand why and how decisions are being made internally and why clients do the things that they do. When you work on the agency side as a creative and you get the feedback from your account person or your project manager, you question it. You know, you're like, well, why does the client want to do this? This doesn't make sense. This is stupid. This is dumb. Da, 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 da. But when you're on the client side, you see how those decisions are being made right there in front of your face. Usually it's like the meeting that happens after the meeting. That's when the real decisions are being made, where you have the grumblings of, of that five minutes walking back to your, your office with someone, a decision maker, and things start popping up. More questions start coming up, and decisions are being made on the fly sometimes by, say, a CMO or a vice president that feels a certain way about something. And it trickles down to the underlings in the department, and then those decisions are being shipped, pushed out, and, hey, we got to get on the phone, we got to call the agency because Mark doesn't like this anymore. And it's literally just like that. And I'll, I'll give you a funny story. I was at a bar. It always starts out at a bar, right? I was at a bar, <laughs> and my vice president of marketing and advertising and the CMO were at the bar. I think it was one of those all hands after our meetings that we all kumbaya kind of thing. And the vice president pulls out his credit card to pay for the, pay for the, the event, the drinks for everybody. And his credit card, which this is at the time when we were in a singular, his credit card was scuffed up. The way it was designed, it had a white top at the design of the, the credit card design with the orange and blue at the bottom. And the white was all scuffed up because he kept using his credit card. So as a designer, and the CMO saw that, he said, your credit card's dirty. It's filthy. He said, yeah, I know. I, I use it a lot. And so he said, well, we need to redesign those credit cards. They're, they're horrible. So naturally, just because I was there at the right place at the right time, the vice president looks at me and says, hey, Derek, why don't you design some new credit card? <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. So I got tasked to design the new credit card for Singular. So this wow. card that goes out to every executive, every, everybody that has a credit card, they're going to get my design. So, of course, I go back. And this is one of those roll your sleeves up side projects that, that you know, how you get those little side projects where you work at. Mm-hmm. This was, you know, I'm not billing to anything. This is just a side project where, okay, cool. Maurice, I did probably 50 designs. I mean, I just, what? you know, I was just like, really like, okay, I'm going to just dive into it and just, I'm the best <laughs> credit card design in the world. So I did all these designs and I took them back up to my director who reported up to the vice president. I said, hey, you know, Daryl wanted me to redesign his credit card. So, you know, I want to let you know what I'm doing and, and what do you think? So she said, oh, great. Well, that's one of your projects with him. Go ahead and just show him. I'll stay out of it. So we narrowed it down to... 10 designs and then narrow that down to five and Daryl was fine with them. And so we go down the hall and we literally knock on the door with the CMO. And what do you think? And I was nervous. You know, I was, again, I was, this was, I was 
maybe 30 years old. And the CMO looks at the uh, designs and he says, hey, these are pretty cool. I'll get back with you. Uh, give me a day. So I said, okay. So he comes down the hall a day later. He literally comes to my desk, my cube. And he says, hey, I showed my wife and she doesn't like the green. <laughs> I literally almost, I was like, oh, okay. Well, 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 we can substitute the green for something else. Yeah, she just doesn't really like the green, you know. Okay. <laughs> So green is part of the color palette, but sure, I'll get rid of the green and I'll change it up. So I, I took that feedback and showed him again. And of course, he eventually picked the card. It was an all blue card, believe it or not. And I told my, my director, because she checked in on me to say, you know, hey, how did that, how did that credit card thing go? I'm like, oh, this is the one we landed on. And, you know, you know, Mark doesn't like green. He doesn't like the green in the color palette. And so he told me to get rid of that, the green ones. Oh, okay. Hmm. So, Maurice, a month later, green was removed from the color palette for the whole company. <laughs> now, that's pretty powerful because everyone at that time, because if you think about it, all the work that we do as a department for an in-house agency ladders back up and it gets put on the CMO's desk at some point. He's mm-hmm. got to approve. He's got, he needs to see what's going on. So he's not going to approve every piece of messaging and design, but he does want to see it. His words were so powerful that people were scared to use that color in their, in their palette because he was going to reject it. He was going to kill it or he didn't like it. Well, his words were definitely powerful where it got to a point where I had to call my, my agencies that I managed to say, hey, guys, do not use green again on anything. <laughs> that trickled down from my wife doesn't like green. So you have to understand how decisions being made in a, you know, on a corporate side are just basically off of the power of one man's words that are very, very simple. And they probably didn't even mean for it to be to lose the color in that color palette, but it was definitely changed. That was a learning experience for me. It was like, wow, this is how it happens. And now I can take that experience and apply it to any other thing like this is why things happen and why decisions are being made and how they're made and how they affect creative so hmm. yeah so was was this kind of that turning point then that you mentioned at at&t yeah this was one of those turning points where i decided i thought i am going to stay here at at&t we went through two mergers really three mergers singular at&t mobility and then it was Bell South and it was AT&T Global, you know. And so we went through all these different mergers and acquisitions and, and that sort of thing. And again, that was in the, the early 2000s where mobility was changing. And I thought, okay, I'm going to hang around here and this is what I'm going to do. And the CMO, the same CMO said, hey, if you want to be a director at this company, you are going to have to have an MBA. Well... That's news to me. And I knew that the only way I was going to move up in the department was to get an advanced degree. And I thought about going back to, remember, I had already got my bachelor's and I already went to the portfolio center. I was tired of school. And I thought, mm-hmm. maybe I'll go get my MFA or something. But I thought, well, there's an MBA program that's affiliated with AT&T and it's free. Okay. Mm. Wow. Well, let me just go to one of these events and see what it's like. So I went to the event. I saw a couple people that were in marketing that were there. 
the program was all AT&T students or workers and uh, employees rather. And okay, I can probably do this. This is doable. It's, a, it's an MBA. It'll advance my career. And so I did it and I got in and it was a 19 month program and it was amazing. It was an eye opener for me because now I have this business side to me that's also grounded with your, the creative. Right? Mm-hmm. And I think it, it opened doors for me, quite frankly. So, Yeah, we've had a few people on the show, uh, Douglas Davis in particular, Nikita Pope. These are people that have really talked about why having that business background, that strategy just sort of helps you out as a designer when it comes to dealing with clients, when it comes to talking with clients to a certain way, all of that. Yeah. When you can walk into a, a business meeting and you're pitching or you're, you're, you're showing them creative, you can always go back and reference back to, and have that business background because they're trying to solve a business problem. And you're looking at it and you don't have, you'd be so passionate about, well, they don't like my, my green credit card. <laughs> well, you know, does it solve the business problem? Does it, 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 are they accomplishing what they want to accomplish? You can always ground them with some sort of strategy and some sort of research as to why you did something. And they love to hear that. Clients love that stuff. So I think it's helpful. Yeah. What is the best idea you had so far that you haven't kind of put forward yet? I know you're kind of stepping out right now in the freelance realm. Is there anything in particular that you're, you're dying to work on? Oh, I want to work on everything. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> I know this is, sounds bad, but there's this fashion side of me that, that I love. I love branding when it comes to like clothes and that sort of thing and, and just the use of typography and that sort of thing. So my passion, I guess, deep down inside, what I would love to do if I knew how to do it would be somewhere in that realm, fashion, mm-hmm. something like that. But that's a long, long shot. But uh, would it be nice if to get a, a small project to work on something like that, maybe it's just a rebrand of a clothing line or something like that, it'd be great. But that's way down the line. But uh, you never know. You never know. You never know. Yeah. Now, there's always, you know, talk about diversity in the design field, et cetera. You've worked largely in advertising throughout your career. And I feel like those sorts of conversations kind of come up a little bit when they talk about, you know, having more black designers at the table or, or black CDs or 80s at the table. So that way, these piss poor representational spots or commercials that come out can kind of get nipped in the bud. Are you finding that conversation is happening in advertising? Do you see more of that? It did before. You know, I think about this, that bad Pepsi spot that ran earlier this year. Um, Yeah. Sometimes those ideas, believe it or not, they get pushed through even when there are blacks in the room. Huh? And, Okay. Believe it or not, no, it, it's true. Like, well, we, you know, there was somebody at that table that saw this too. I've been lucky to experience, uh, to not experience that firsthand because, you know, companies like AT&T where we had a, a pretty good mix of, you know, diversity was really big there and we had marketing folks that were of color that made sure nothing, nothing like that ever got out. But in this case, I think that was an in-house department. Now, I could be wrong, and I'm using that as an example. It wasn't just a race thing, but it was also a not a lack of experience or lack of agency experience that didn't help that situation. 
where if you don't have an advertising art direction background or copywriting background, career direction background at an agency, and if I'm, correct me if I'm wrong, if this idea got out internally, this was done in an in-house department, that's a big mistake, especially for a commercial that big and ran, everybody saw that commercial. That's something mm-hmm. that a agency needs to do, not an in-house department needs to do. So it further uh, supports the idea that you probably shouldn't do in-house commercials. You shouldn't do commercials in-house. You know, you should probably give that to the, the people that do it well and do it better and have more experience than you. With that being said, it's still – I've heard that, that there were people of color in that room that approved that. But it's one thing to see it on script. It's mm-hmm. another thing to see it produced. And when you see it produced, it's harder hitting because it's like, oh, wow, that's not good. But when you read it, when you read the script, it probably sounded okay. And it probably wasn't explained in that direction. So I think some, somewhere down the line, someone wasn't – the ball dropped after – I could be wrong. The ball seems to have dropped after the concept was approved. And it seemed like executionally, that's where the ball dropped, You know, where everybody got their hand on it, maybe a director – maybe a producer, someone, somebody that made that decision, it was being produced and say, this is how we're going to shoot it. This is what we're going to do. And they're not really thinking, they're not saying, they're not sharing that whole idea to someone else that saw it weeks ago and liked it and it got changed. And this is, it happens a lot in agencies. The script changes after it's approved thousands and thousands of times. So many times, it's not, it's not the same script any, anymore. The idea changed. That's my take on it. So I, I'm surprised that, still surprised that when it was produced and it was given back to, to the decision make, makers, like they, didn't, they didn't see that. They, could, they didn't catch that. And they should have brought that same team back in and said, here's what we did. Oh, these things changed. What do you think? And if that was me in the room, I'm like, whoa, <laughs> whoa, no, 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 no. This cannot go out. But to go back to what you said, again, lack of diversity, yes, that is definitely an issue. It's still an issue. I think we make up 4% of the ad agency industry, which is terrible. And, and that's why you get these really, really bad spots that are like, oh, yikes, you know. How do you think we can start getting more people, I'd say more men and women of color in particular, how do you think we get them more interested in advertising if they don't see themselves already? I don't think there's a lack of interest of people of color wanting to get into the business. I think where the problem lies, and I told Craig this, it's funny, I think that clients aren't holding their agencies responsible for their hiring practices, and not just people of color, but also women, So, and particularly at the top. So if I am a CMO and I... I've just recently been promoted or acquired this position. And someone says, the first thing I'm going to do is look at my portfolio of agencies. Okay. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to look at all the agencies that work for us, whatever company I'm working for. And I'm going to meet with them and I'm going to say, here's the problem. Obviously I was hired in this this position because of my creative background. I'm going to make the assumption that, your creative isn't where it needs to be. Why is that? Because it probably all looks the same. 
Why is that? Mm -hmm. Because you're hiring practices. You have how many African-Americans, how many Hispanics, how many people do you have that are working in your departments? I want to hold you accountable. And I think if you think about what I think it's General Mills, I think they mm -hmm. did this where they're gonna, they said, I want 45 percent, at least 45 percent of your staff women. I want a certain number of percent people of color. Now, if you put that kind of pressure on your ad agencies, they're going to move on my accounts. They're going to move people around to service these accounts. They'll do it because they don't want to lose the business. But it takes mm. you've got to put the pressure. So. So people say, well, it's the agencies that need to rethink, shift their thinking and their hiring practices. That's true. But the clients need to hold them, hold their feet to the fire and hold them responsible and say, yeah, but if you want my business, here's what I need. I want to see it. That's how the shift begins, in my opinion. That's going to take a long time. But if every single client started doing that, every single blue chip client, if you will, started saying diversity starts with us. And not just with us, but also with our with our partner, our partner vendors and our partner agencies. I think you'll see a change. Hmm. Yeah, I can see where that is going to be a gradual process. I mean, we've got organizations like the Marcus Graham Project, yep. which is about kind of getting, I think it's just more men involved in the advertising field. I feel like there was one that was well, analogous to women that was like the Jacqueline Project or something like my that. My daughter did that. Pro she did that boot camp. I'm, I'm good friends with, uh, with, with Lincoln. Okay. Attorney brother of mine. And my daughter applied for the program the year before. She didn't get in. And then she reapplied again. She's a PR major. And then she's now in advertising. She's in Chicago now. She's okay. her first her first job out of school. But she did the boot camp uh, last year and went to Dallas and did it. And uh, she said it's one of the, the best experiences she's ever done. And I'm really glad that, that Lincoln gave her a shot to be a part of the uh, program. But I think it's really good what he's doing really good. I, mean, I remember when he first started, actually. Mm, nice. So you say your daughter's in, in PR. She's actually a, she works at a media desk out in Chicago. She's okay. not doing PR now. She's not doing engagement. She's doing media media buying for the most part. Entry-level job, but she loves it. What are you teaching her about the advertising industry? Pretty much what we're discussing now that, you know, hey, you're going to have to be scrappy. You're going to have to bust your butt, work hard. Here's the lay of the land. Don't burn bridges and networking because this is a very tight network industry. And people, you'd be surprised. Everybody knows everybody here. Everybody in this industry knows everybody. It's not a far shot where you haven't met someone. Someone knows somebody. And it's close, particularly with people of color. So I told her that just giving her that advice of follow her dreams, don't burn bridges, work hard, be careful of jumping around. But get your experience. You're probably not going to start doing what you really want to do until you're four or five. That's okay. Just get that experience. Mm -hmm. Get that experience because it's a really a hard business to break into, and you're in it. You you made it. You're here. That's a step up. So she calls me all the time. It's funny because in her circle, with you know, she's 23. In her circle, she's like, Dad, everybody knows you, and I'm just like, Really? <laughs> you know, like like yeah. I tell them who my dad is, and it's like. It's funny how people look at you and you don't look at yourself in that fashion, but it's interesting. Who are some of the mentors that you've had that have kind of helped you out along the way? One of my mentors, honestly, when I met Craig, Craig used to be my boss when I was at Rory Communications. Rory advertising, okay. I believe. Craig took me in, gave me a shot, and we became friends. We're friends now. I love his mind and how he thinks. 
he's all over the place, but it, it, he's so strategic, and I love it. Whenever I have a a business idea or some sort of something that I want to do, I always talk to Craig first. He'll be honest and frank with you. He'll support you, but he'll keep it real with you. So he's always been there for me. Another person is Toby Carvana Moore. She was a creative director at West Wing. I never worked under her. I've worked with her. I never worked under her. When she was at West Wing, she left right before I got there. It was kind of like we were passing by. And, um, mm-hmm. and we finally met one day. I invited her to meet, meet me for coffee. I just wanted to, I want to meet you. And she was one of the first African-American creative directors that I met in Atlanta. And it's very hard. That's very hard to find, believe it or not. At a large agency, you don't see that. And she has been very, very instrumental of pushing me and offering me great advice. And then another mentor is Lewis Williams, who was my boss in, at Burrell, who has a number of years in the game. He has this, he's incredibly creative. He supports young talent. He's given me some of the best advice in the, in the industry. And he's unapologetically black, which I love about him. And he works at one of the, arguably one of the largest and most successful black advertising agencies in the nation. And he's been there for a long time. He could have gone anywhere, but he decided this is what he wanted to do. He wanted to do multicultural. And he gave me my first real shot at being in a ACD at a large shop as big as Burrell was at the time. I gave him my first shot, and I think, I, think I, I owe him for that. So, Is there anything that you're excited about at the moment? I mean, I kind of feel like I know what this answer might be, but... <laughs> What are you really excited about right now? You know what? Personally, I'm excited about being home, Maurice. I'm excited that I am able to come home, reconnect with my family. Being back in Atlanta, Atlanta's always just felt like home. It's always been home. I, I've lived here since 1998, and I never looked back, really. And that's personally, but professionally, I'm excited about getting my business off the ground. And I feel confident, more confident than ever. I'm, I'm nervous. If I really want to go and think, negatively about the hiccups and, and what's gonna what's ahead of me, sure, I'm going to ignore those things and just do it. And I feel comfortable. I feel I'm excited, but I feel like now is the time to do it. And if I don't do this, then I won't ever do it. So unless this golden job opportunity lands in my lap, which I don't see that happening in the meantime future, I'm 100% invested in, in doing this. Okay. <laughs> Where do you see yourself in the next five years? I know that's forecasting a bit, but I know you're just getting out there and getting started now. Do you think you'll want to continue with this for a while? Absolutely. Four or five years from now, it's really hard because this business changes so quickly. But I think we'll be a, a, a nice, small to mid-sized boutique agency that has a couple of blue chip clients under our belt and has produced some great work. Now, aside from clients, are there any other like type of people that you're looking for, like to work with or collaborate with? Strategy people, always. I'm working with a planner out in California that we used to work at Burrell together, and he wants to, to throw around a couple of ideas. I have a meeting with him tomorrow. Funny, he just got his MBA as well from Pepperdine, and he's like, hey, man, I'm ready to... He called me out of the blue and said, I've always believed in you. And I looked up to you. You probably didn't know it. We worked at Burrell together. And I just finished my MBA. And I want to do something. 
and you're the first person I call, which I was like, wow, I didn't know you felt that way, man. And he's a unique guy because he he was one of my brand planners at Burrell on McDonald's. He's this blue-eyed, brunette, white guy from Michigan who knows more about black culture than most and he was a brand planner on McDonald's, which obviously their clientele, I'd say your people that look, McDonald's understands their target and their market, right? Mm-hmm. Writing briefs for a black agency. He's a unique guy who speaks fluent Spanish. It's just weird, but he's a good person to know and someone that I want to, I can see myself working with. So uh, there's a handful of people that I would really love to work with in, in the future. And also, of course, the talent that Atlanta has. Atlanta has such a great resource of talented individuals, designers, artists, painters, muralists, writers. They're all here. One of my challenges is just stepping back out there and getting reacquainted with them. So. Well, I mean, there are certainly meetups that are happening here. There's conferences that are happening here. It's just a matter of getting out there because there's something. I don't know there's something going on every day, but there's certainly something going on every week where you can at least start to rub a few elbows or something. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Well, Derek, just to kind of wrap things up here, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online? DerekRivers.com, D-E-R-R-I-C-K-R-I-V-E-R-S.com. I'll take the password off momentarily. Uh, <laughs> and of course, Twitter, Derek Noop 294 And you're probably better off finding me on Instagram. And being a, a visual person, of course, you can find me on IG which is Black Sheep 1974. All right. Sounds good. Well, Derek Rivers, thank you again so much for for coming here on the show. Thank you for kind of, first of all, just kind of talking about your history and how you got into the advertising game and really also kind of setting the lay of the land with what it's like in terms of diversity. I know that, you know, anytime you step out and do your own thing, it's always risky and it's always tricky, but it seems like since you're doing this the second time around, you've got a plan in mind. And I mean, we're here in Atlanta. We should connect. I'm really interested to kind of see where things are going to go for you in the future. So thank you for coming on the show. I appreciate it. Will do, man. Thank you. Thoughts of love are and that's it for this week. Big thanks to Derek Rivers and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Derek and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Also, thanks to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, Hover, and SiteGround. Facebook designers work on creative products that are used by over 2 billion people. Their mission is to make the world more open and connected, and they use design to create prototypes, shape experiences, and ultimately solve problems as well. Learn more about Facebook Design at facebook.com forward slash design. Whether you need to sell your products, share some big news, or just tell a story, MailChimp makes it easy to create campaigns that best suit your message. Automate your marketing efforts, put your data to work, and watch the results roll in. Visit MailChimp.com and sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Every great idea deserves a great domain name, and Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying and managing domains. They offer free private domain registration, your choice of hundreds of domain extensions, and you can connect domains to your WordPress site or your Behance or Dribbble profile, even your LinkedIn profile. So if you're ready to get started, go to hover.com forward slash revision path and get 10% off your first purchase. Since 2004, SiteGround has been empowering web professionals and beginners alike 
to build better, faster, safer websites easily without having to worry about hosting. Visit SiteGround.com forward slash revision path to get 60% off on all hosting plans. SiteGround, web hosting crafted with care. Also, don't forget about the presenting sponsor for this week's episode, Videoblocks. Go to videoblocks.com forward slash revision path to get all the stock footage you can imagine for just $149 a year. That's V-I-D-E-O-B-L-O-C-K-S dot com forward slash revision path. Save on millions of studio quality clips from video blocks. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro voiceover is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro music by Yellow Speaker. If you liked this episode, please do me a huge favor. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and leave us a rating and a review. It only takes a minute or two and it really, really helps the show out by bumping us up in the rankings there for Design Podcast. And I'll even read your review right here on the show. Revision Path is brought to you by Lunch, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. Visit us today at yepitslunch.com for all your design, strategy, and creative consulting needs. And if you like the work that we're doing here with Revision Path, then please consider becoming a patron. You know, now more than ever, Revision Path needs your support to make sure that stories about black designers and creatives in our field are being told in their own words. So if you support us, if you support our mission, just go to patreon.com forward slash revision path and pledge today. For just $5 a month, you can get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.